whole relatability series, talking about relationships, uh, I just want to start off by sharing with you um, a little story. Um, you see, not too long ago, my wife and I uh, closed on our house, um, and it was, it was a wonderful experience. We have all these, uh, thank you. <laughs> We have all these renovations that we have planned, right? It's, uh, you know, it's, it's good, good stuff coming. We're going to paint things. It's going to be great. Um, but uh, one of the things is, can I tell you that one of the most stressful experiences in life, right? And, and, and I mean, this is the kind of stressful, like this is up there with like buying pants and then you realize that the pockets were fake stressful, right? Have you ever had that? This, I could go on about this. It's not in my notes, but I could go on about it. Um, right? One of the most stressful things is going through that giant pile of documents and having to sign them all, right? And, like, it, and they don't make, like, the person who comes to your house to do this, or like, you know, it, it happened at our house. Sometimes it happens at banks, right? They don't make that a fun experience, right? Like, and, like, the bank tells you, like, the closer is coming, Right? Like, like, oh, I didn't, like, the queen too, you know what I mean? Like, you know, um, right? Like, the closer is coming, and, and this guy walks in, and, you know, this is like the 10,000th thing he's done, like, that morning, right? So, like, he has no patience for my questions, you know? And uh, he informs us, you know, that we're sitting around the table, and we have coffee, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, remove the coffees, because even one drop of coffee falls on any of these papers. That's done. It's over. Everything is null and void. I'm like, oh, God, I'm sorry. I won't breathe for the next hour, you know? Um, and like, it's just, it's just this stressful, you know, series. And, and then everything, you know, and like, it's not good if you're, if you, if you've struggled with dyslexia, right? Like I have, it's not good to have to write the date differently every time it's on a piece of document, right? Like they want month, day, year, year, day, month, year, month, day, month, year, signature, right? I mean, like, it's, it's, uh, there's not one that's, thing that's the same. <laughs> um, and then they want you to spell it out, right? And that's fun. Um, right, it was, it was just, it was, it was an interesting experience. And I remember thinking, like, wow, like, I'm signing all these documents for the house, but, like, I, I barely remember signing anything when Gab and I got married. You know what I mean? Like, I think I signed one thing. Like, my brother had to make sure I signed it. You know what I mean? Pastor Jim was making sure I didn't leave the building until I signed it. You know? Like, like but I don't, I don't remember what that was. Like, I couldn't tell you what was on that piece of paper. Um, but I signed it. You know, I was definitely married. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, it kind of brings to mind the contrast between what a covenant is and what a contract is. Right? There's a difference. And sometimes we don't even know the difference. Sometimes, like, even, like, when I think about it, I think of the word covenant as just, like, an old Testament, old-timey kind of idea of what a contract is, right? It's, it's just the same thing. But it's not. They're a little bit different. You see, when we signed for our house, we entered under contract. When we got married, we entered into covenant, right? There's a difference. Uh, and the primary difference is that a contract is legal. A covenant is relational, right? They're similar. They both have to do with like that there, there, is, there is an agreement that, that both parties are going to come together on something, but a, a contract is going to be about what each individual is going to receive. A covenant is about what each individual is going to give, right? It's like there's, there's this different difference when it comes to intent. Contracts tend to be fragile. Covenants tend to be durable, right? Um, and if you don't believe that a contract is fragile, just stop paying your bills, and you'll have the perfect example, right? <laughs> Contracts break real easy, um, but covenants are meant to be endurable. Uh, you know, and, and imagine if we approached every relationship in our life with the legal lens of a contract, right? I mean, how many of us have ever made a promise and then didn't keep it? Let's just be honest, be real, right? We, we, we've said we were going to be somewhere, do something, be there for a friend when we weren't there. You know, if you're like me, maybe you promised to take out the trash, on trash day, when there was fish in it, 
and you didn't do it, right? <laughs> you know, right? Like, but that didn't, but the, re, the relationship didn't end because that, that, one, that one moment, right? Because it's not about what you said you're going to do. It's about your relationship, right? It's about your relationship. Um, and the truth is when it comes to relationships, especially covenant relationships, we can sometimes in the church and, and in the world, like just in life, we have this unspoken expectation that covenant relationships um, should just happen spontaneously, that they should just develop spontaneously. We don't have to work at them. They just show up. We meet people and boom, they're our friends for life, right? Um, and that doesn't, right, that doesn't happen in relationships. You don't just meet somebody and like, oh, hi, how you doing? You want to be like, like husband and wife for the rest of our lives till death do us part, right? Like that would be like, I don't know about you, but I don't, I've never seen a relationship work that way, right? That doesn't, it just doesn't go that way, generally speaking. Um, covenant relationships, first and foremost, need to be with people that are inner circle, right? It's not just anybody. It's not, you know, your, your favorite cashier at Wawa, right? That my favorite cashier at Wawa calls me young man all the time, you know? To most of you, you probably think of me as young man. At 32, it feels really good for him to say young man. Like, I just, like, he's my, he's my bro, you know? Like, I like him, um, right? But he's not, he's not in my covenant relationship, right? Like, he's not my inner circle of friends, right? Our inner circle of friends, these are the people in the youth ministry, we refer to them as our foxhole friends, right? When life gets crazy, when, when things just start blowing up in life, that they're going to be the people that are going to be by your side. They're going to be with you. They're going to support you, right? These are your, your covenant relationships. And not just anybody can be in a covenant relationship with you, right? You can be a super extrovert and love to have people around you. I'm an extroverted person, right? But it needs to be that tight-knit circle of friends, right? Just like not anybody can just be your spouse, amen, <laughs> right? That, that is, there's a covenant between them, right? Um, so let's just talk about like what, give a, a biblical picture of what a covenant relationship looks like. The, the Bible has a lot to say about covenant, right? God's always making covenants with his people. He's establishing covenants. Uh, there's a lot of covenants in scripture, but I want to look at just a picture of this kind of tight-knit relationship, what it's supposed to look like in a friendship, even what it's supposed to look like in a marriage. Um, this comes from First uh, Samuel chapter 18. And this is from the Amplified Version. Um, so I'm just going to read this here with you. I, I love what it says. And again, I put it in the Amplified because I just love how the Amplified describes it. So David here, he just, uh, he's just slain Goliath. Um, if things are looking up for David, you know, um, there's a lot of points where David's going to be hiding in caves, but not this time, right? At this moment, like things are on the upswing, like David's doing good in life. It says, when David had finished speaking to Saul, hear this, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took David uh, that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of his outer robe that he was wearing and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword, his bow, and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he acted wisely and prospered. And Saul appointed him over the men of war, and it pleased all the people and also Saul's servants. I love that. I want to jump back to verse 3 there. I love what it says. Again, uh, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him 
as himself. Other versions say he loved him with his own life, as with his own life. Um, and, you know, it can be silly when we look at this, you know, there's a, I forget the term for it, but there's like, we have this expectation when we read through scripture, we read through um, like, like this portion of scripture, we tend to forget that like Jonathan is Saul's heir to the throne, right? Jonathan is Saul's son. That means Jonathan is the rightful king of Israel. Right? And we forget that because we just know that, like, we, if you read the verse, you know, you read, uh, uh, you read through uh, the book of Samuel, you'll see that, like, John, uh, David was already anointed king, right? So we just kind of assume that this is how it was always supposed to happen, but it's not. Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. It was his right to be king after his father. It was, it was what was supposed to happen. This was the intended path right? Because he is the king's son. And so when we look at this verse, when it talks about that he, he took off his outer robe and he gave it to David, right? That looks like, like, I, I, I don't know what that would look like in a modern day scenario, right? But like, that's, that's, that's not normally, we kind of look at that we're like, oh, that's, that's odd, right? That doesn't make sense to us all the time. But the, the importance of this was not lost on David at this moment, right? Because the robe that Jonathan wore was his royal robe, it was the sign of his right to the throne of Israel. This was Jonathan's, like, like him wearing this showed the world that he was next in line to be king. It was his royal robe. It was, his, it was a robe he had the right to wear. And so when he took that off and gave that to David, what he's doing is he is abdicating his throne to David Jonathan was laying down his right as heir so that David could fulfill his destiny as anointed. Right? That's a picture of covenant in relationships, covenant friendships. There's an intensity there. Right? There's a sacrificial love there that says whatever it is, and, and like it's not just his robe, it's his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt. He's saying whatever it is that you need to be the king God called you to be, I'm going to pay that price with you. Right? There's a covenant in that kind of friendship. There's a covenant in that kind of relationship. You know, there's an intensity to it. Imagine if we approached our other relationships in life with that level of intensity, right? The, our covenant relationships with that level of intensity where we wanted, where we celebrated victories among our, our family, our friends, our spouses, right? Where we sought their highest good. We're willing to lay down our rights so that they could prosper in their calling right? We would have a revival in not just the church, but in marriages, in friendships, in relationships. The world would, for the first time in a long time, look at the church and be jealous of what they have. Because I'll tell you what, there's the concept of friendship is absent from the world. I can remember actually not too long ago, it was about four or five years ago. I remember, and just wave at me if you remember this, there were schools were trying to ban people from having best friends. Did anybody remember that? I remember reading about that. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if that was me, if I was, if I was in middle school at the time, that wouldn't have flown. <laughs> I would have found a way around that real quick. Um, right, but like there's, man, those kind, these covenant relationships, one, we all need them. I'm not saying we all have to be married, but I'm saying we all need to be able to be in covenant with people around us, the body of Christ, uniting together, seeking each other's highest good. You know, there's something powerful in that. Especially when it comes, though, to marriages. And I just want to talk on marriages briefly um, when we talk about covenant relationships because there's few, there's no other covenant relationship we're going to have quite like the covenant relationship of a marriage. 
Amen. Um, so listen, if you're, if you're dating, if you're engaged, or if you're single at the moment, listen, don't tune out, okay, because this is for you. Let the Lord speak to you because there's so much here. The, the, one of the things that we tell our students, but the reality is just so good for all of us, is that it's not about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, so I love this. I love, uh, so Ephesians 5.25, Paul is writing to uh, the church And he gives an example of what this kind of covenant relationship in a marriage is supposed to look like. Uh, Let's read what he says here. He says, Husbands, love your wives. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring, unselfish love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I love that. That's why I loved uh, reading this out of like just the Amplified version because there's this picture of like it is a surrounding that we surround them with love right? That that is the picture of this covenant relationship. Jesus reinforces this image of, of um, marriage and covenant in uh, Matthew 19 verses 4 to 6. He's challenged by one of the Pharisees, uh, which happens a lot in the Gospels. Um, and he replied, and I love what he says, he says, have you never read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall uh, be joined inseparably to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, that what God has joined together, let no one separate. Right? I love this. Such a good picture. We, we, we read this a lot at marriages, right? And rightly so. This is an excellent picture of, of marriage. It's an excellent picture of the covenant of marriage. Um, and I love that it, it says, like, the two shall become one flesh. Um, and it kind of begs the question how, you know, when we're talking about unity so strong, so binding that it's as if they're one flesh, how, how could I look down at my body and say, how can I live without this? Right? And I thank God for modern medicine. I could remove a limb if I had to, right? <laughs> you know? But that's not God's perfect design, right? That's not his perfect intent. That the two would be one flesh. Now, just to, to balance, right? That doesn't mean one mind. Amen. <laughs> Right. Um, I love, like I said, Gab and I have been doing some remodeling um, of the house. We're working on doing some just odds and ends. And one of the things that we're looking on doing is painting. And can I tell you, I, have, I learned new things. I didn't know that like Samantha's hope was a color. <laughs> I just tell you, like, I, just, I had no idea, you know, and it's, not, it's a gray, <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, Gab, and I love it. Like, it's one of these things, it's one of those things where I marvel at God's creative work um, because I just don't always understand it, right? Because Gab is, will, will pick out like, like 16 swatches of gray, you know what I mean? And she puts them all up and she, she sees them, like she's looking at them in different lights, you know, around the house and in different rooms. Uh, and, and, and we paint it on and I'm looking at it all and they, they, they all look gray, <laughs> you know? Like, and there might be like two out of like the 15 that look a little bit lighter than the others, you know? But she's going on about undertones and this one's matte and I don't understand any of it, you know? Um, I mean, we should celebrate that, right? Like that's something we should celebrate. Sometimes people get in their own minds that like, hey, that, that well, we need to be one flesh. That means all our opinions are the same. That's not the truth, <laughs> right? You know, sometimes we, uh, I, I, you know, it, it's so cute, especially being in youth ministry for a long time. You know, I, I have the privilege of seeing, uh, you know, young folks, uh, you know, go through their dating lives, get engaged, get married. And it's this beautiful process. And, and I, I've heard it so many times where, you know, I've heard the phrase, you know, it's like we have the same mind. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't. 
know, you just don't, um, and that's okay. And we should celebrate that, right? Like God, like thank the Lord, right? Because if, if it was just, you know, I'm so thankful that God brought Gabrielle into my life, right? Because um, our house looks so wonderful. If it was just me, let me tell you, organized would just be so long as it's all on the floor and I can see it. Right? I'd know exactly where everything is, you know? Like, I would have never considered the need for shelf space. Um, right? We need to celebrate our differences, right? That's part of, that's part of how God, like, like, that's how he does things, right? And if you're single, listen, there's nothing wrong with being single, right? There's nothing wrong with being single. Don't feel like you have to get married. You need to get married. Listen, you have the Lord, and that's all we need. Amen? Um, but, right? <laughs> Amen. So covenant relationships, marriage is what a beautiful picture Jesus gives us of these kinds of covenant relationships and marriages. And it's a shame that the world sometimes so, so takes the concept of marriage and devalues it to the place of like, uh, you know, if it's not the perfect marriage, then it's not a marriage. You know what I mean? It's a shame that we see that in the world because that's like every celebrity wedding, right? I think that celebrity weddings have stopped. I, I haven't, I've never heard a celebrity, celebrity wedding ever say the phrase anymore, um, till death do us part, right? That's just out. It's like, until love fades. It sounds so nice, right? You know what I mean? How wonderful, you know? Yay for you. <laughs> um, sorry. Right, but like we, we devalue it and the reality is like, this is meant to be, right? Jesus said, this is as one flesh, one unity, united together, inseparable. I love one of the words, uh, Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite theologians. I love his words. Um, he just, he's, he's got such a, you know, I wish I could speak the way he writes, you know. Um, he says, this, listen to what he says. He says, marriage was the last relic of paradise left among men, and Jesus hastened to honor it at his first miracle. Right? Amen. Isn't that cool? Oh, my man, Charles Spurgeon. It's Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon. So listen, let me just make a, a, a real brief, some, some balancing statements here in the process. We're talking about marriages. Uh, first and foremost, if you're here, and maybe, maybe again, maybe you are single. Maybe you've gone through, maybe, a, maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've gone through a, a divorce. Maybe there's been some kind of trauma or hurt in your life. I just want to tell you, first and foremost, God is not a God of one and done. God's not a God of like, hey, you did your best. You messed up. It's over. It's gone forever. Best of luck. I'll see you later, right? That's not our God. He is a God of redemption. He is a God of second chances. He is a God of new beginnings, right? He, this is our God. This is our God. And I just, I just want to say on, on just a very sober note, and this is just wherever you're at, if you're here in this room, maybe you're watching online or even well after this has been recorded, I just want to encourage you, you know, the Bible clearly lays out a picture of what marriage is. And the reality is that everything that falls outside of that is not a biblical marriage. And uh, I just want to, I, I want to say that in, in the light of when it comes to like an issue like abuse. Um, if you're here, if you're watching online, wherever it is that you might be, and maybe you're in a relationship that has become abusive um, or that you're in an abusive relationship, we can sometimes, especially in the church, buy this lie that because there's abuse, um, but I'm married, I have to go through the abuse because um, that's what you do in a marriage. And that's not God's picture of marriage. God never paints a picture of that's what marriage is, right? So I just want to encourage you, if you're in that place, seek help with somebody immediately. Let somebody in to pray with you, to talk you through it, to walk you through it, so that there can be health restored in a relationship, so that God can be enthroned in it. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Amen. 
so just one last point, right? One last relationship I want to talk about when it comes to the subject of covenant relationships, these covenant relationships. And that is our relationship with the Lord. You know, all throughout biblical history, like I said earlier, God is establishing his covenant with mankind. It happened first with Adam, then Noah, then Abraham and Moses, and then the nation of Israel. And all throughout, God is establishing his covenant with people. And there's, there's always like, in Israel especially, always has this job of ensuring that they are making the, the right sacrifices and offerings to, to, to keep God's blessing in favor. And we see this in like the, the yearly sacrifice of the spotless lamb, right? Like that was the covering for Israel's sins. We see this in like grain offerings and drink offerings and, 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 and all these different like odds and ends and different offerings that they had in order to attain and to receive and to keep God's blessing, right? Amen. Like this is like, this is how Israel had to work at it. It was Israel's job to keep God's covenant, right? God established a covenant, promises um, protection, blessing, and victory, right? It's Israel's job to keep it. The only thing is that us in the church, 2,000 years after Jesus was the final sacrifice, 2,000 years after Jesus paid the ultimate price, after Jesus tore the tabernacle in two, after Jesus created full access between us and God and fullness and access to God's blessing, we can still have this Old Testament mindset. Right? Where we feel like we have to earn God's favor. Where we have to earn his blessing. Where we have to work hard enough and do good enough and, and, and pay for the person in line behind us. And we have to X, Y, and Z. And if we can just be holy enough and do good enough that we can attain some higher tier on God's scale of holiness, then we're going to have God's blessing. Then he'll hear us when we pray. Then he'll forgive us if we mess up. Right? Or we think to ourselves, I've messed up, you know, a thousand times. And now after I've messed up a thousand times, surely God's not going to hear me. Right? Surely God's not going to keep trying to, to listen to me. Can I tell you, that's not the picture of the gospel. Can I tell you something? The truth is, when we have that mindset, when we enter into that mindset of thinking we have to now add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we are like, like, we're not just in sin, we're in apostasy, right? We're missing, and, and nobody, and nobody, like these aren't, we don't normally put those feelings into words, but we put those feelings into actions. And we feel like I have to make things right before I go to God. That's not why Jesus went to the cross, right? That's not why Jesus went to the cross. When we try to take some level of work and add it to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The truth is we are acting just like Judas did in trying to force Jesus' hand to assert himself as king. We're acting just like Peter when he pulled the sword, tried to defend Jesus at the garden. We're acting just like Saul when he tried to hold on to the kingdom. We're stepping outside of Jesus. We're stepping outside of his covering. Because of Jesus, we have full blessing, protection, and favor. Because of Jesus, we have every promise in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because of Jesus, we can have full access to the blessing and the benefits of heaven. It's because of Jesus that we can have relationship with our Heavenly Father. And out of this relationship with our Heavenly Father should flow every other covenant relationship. But it comes back to we got to enthrone Jesus first. We can't try to add. This is the one covenant in, in Scripture. You know, the New Testament, there's no example of us being able to break God's covenant. 
You know, in, in the New Testament, there's not one example. The Old Testament, there's lots of examples of, of mankind breaking God's covenant. There's not one example in the New Testament because you can't break the blood of Jesus. Amen. I love uh, a, a picture of this that we see, uh, and I just, I'm going to read uh, just, just two verses out of it. They're going to throw the whole thing up. Hebrews 7, 22, 25 paints such a beautiful picture of this, this covenant that we have with Jesus, right? In comparison with the old covenant that had to be kept, that had to be worked at, that had to be sacrifices added to, that we had to try and to make things better. Look at what it says. Hebrews 7, 22. And so, because of the oath's greater strength and force, Jesus has become the certain guarantee of a better covenant, a more excellent and more advantageous agreement, one that will never be replaced or annulled. I'm jumping down to verse 25. Therefore, he is able to also save forever, completely, perfectly, for eternity, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede and intervene on their behalf with God. Look at that first part right there, right? Jesus has become the certain guarantee of a better covenant. That means that Jesus is your guarantee of blessing. Jesus is your guarantee of favor. Jesus is your guarantee of healing. Jesus is your guarantee of prosperity. Jesus is your guarantee of protection. It's Jesus is the guarantee. And you didn't do anything to earn it. In fact, the truth is, the the biblical picture is that while you were God's enemies... While we were actively working hard to get away from God, God chose us and favored us, right? We can't buy, there's nothing we could do to make God impressed enough with us that we could ever add to the work of Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And this is the essence of the word redemption, right? Redemption, redemption by definition is a transaction, right? All redemption is a transaction. If you go to Wawa and you buy um, a cup of coffee, what you're saying is that you're willing to redeem your dollars for a cup of coffee. Or, you know, $3 at Wawa and like $5 at, at Starbucks, whatever it may be, okay? Whatever it is that you like, um, right? But this is, there is a transaction that takes place. A great picture of this, I love this. Um, I, I recently had the privilege of being able to um, babysit um, Jaden Patron. Um, so this is uh, Melissa and Jeremy's son. And so I was babysitting one day. We went to the boardwalk, right, to the winter the Lucky Leos on the boardwalk, and we were just doing a little claw machine, and he was getting his little tickets, and this was like, this was, this was his jam, you know what I mean? Like, this was, this was the exciting part of his week. And so look at this. You see those little, like, rings on his sides? Those are like little cardboard things. Each of them has, like, a point value. I don't know how, I don't know what the point ratio to dollar is, okay? Like, in order to, like, but I think we actually made money um, on the machine. I think we actually made money. Look at him there. That was, believe it or not, that's 21,000 points, okay? Each one of those tickets is like one point, right? Like, he, I, this kid, like, he made money while he was there. He knew what he was doing. I think, you know, like, had we stayed too long, they might have kicked us out, right? But all, see, the thing is, all those, those, little, those little points, those little token points, right, they belonged to him. They were his. By all rights, they were his. But until he went and redeemed them, he could never use them, right? God, consider this, God chose you to be the focus of his redemption work. God chose you to be the, the person for which he would exchange his son. Jesus chose you. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, 
He endured the cross, scorning its shame, is now set down at the right hand of the Father. You were the joy that was set before him. You, and if it was just you, are the one that God was thinking of, that chose to redeem in exchange for his son. You are favored. You are favored. You didn't earn it. You didn't work towards it. You didn't have to, because you couldn't. He favored you before you could have ever asked. He exchanged Jesus before you and I were ever born, and he would do it again. He chose you. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning as we are coming back to the concept of covenant, of relationship, you know, we, we talked about this new covenant. There's nothing we can add to it. The only condition that this covenant now calls for that requires that God says, here it is, you the fullness of all my blessings, all my opportunity, all my prosperity, the full benefits of heaven are at your access. Access to the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth is at your disposal. There's one condition. If we get full access to God, we have to allow God full access to us. We can't go into this relationship and say, we get all of God, yay, and try to keep God on the showroom floor, right? We can't make it all nice out in one area of our lives and say, this is where God stays and all the things I want to keep secret, I shove back in the closet and I don't let him see those things in there because I have the showroom floor and this is what, this is what everybody else gets to see, so this is what God should get to see. That's not the deal. Jesus didn't go to the cross and endure the cross for the joy that was set before him, which is you, so that he could only have half your heart so that he could have a, a two-state solution of your life. He came to be king. The question is, will we, like Jonathan, abdicate the throne of our lives, take off the royal robes of our messed up, beat up, hurt lives that we've been trying to do it all ourselves and lay them at the feet of Jesus? Let him be king and Lord over our lives. Because we can't, we can't do it halfway. There's no, there's no picture in the gospel of a world-changing church that only did it halfway. They don't exist. If we want to see the master, the creator, the father, exalted, moving in our communities, moving in our lives, moving in our worlds, moving in our families, moving in our marriages, moving in our children, he has to be king of our lives, king of our hearts, king of our thrones. It starts with Jesus, it ends with Jesus. We need to lay down our royal garments. I speak this for myself. So this morning, where are you, church? Is there a place that maybe, maybe there was a time that you gave God the fullness of all that you were, that you wanted him to be in every one of those areas and, and time and energy and effort or exhaustion started to creep in and take sections away from him made you feel like you had to do it all on your own. Made you feel like you had to pull something back from God so that you could do it because you were afraid of what life might look like if, if you weren't in control of that thing. Is he Lord over our marriages? Is he Lord over our friendships? Is he Lord over our lives? And if he's not, listen, let's just be sober to examine ourselves, both here and at home if you're watching. Jesus, where do I need to make you Lord again? All right. So if you're willing, would you please just stand with me if you can? 
let's just take a moment of inventory between us and the Lord, making wherever you're at just the holy place. Where does Jesus need to be enthroned? What's that relationship, that thing? Maybe it's a sin pattern or sin habit that just Jesus needs to come in again and clean the inner temple, cast out the money changers of our hearts. Wherever that is for you, let's just, uh, I'm just gonna pray for you now. Wherever that is, let's just make this a holy moment and surrender to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and we together just, we lay down every royal robe of our lives, everything that says we have the right to hold on to it, everywhere that we've justified or said it's okay that I do X, Y, and Z because of this or that. Lord, we just invite you into the fullness of ourselves. We surrender again the fullness of the throne of our hearts. We give it to you, Father. We invite you into every relationship, every friendship, every marriage, that Jesus, you would be enthroned again, and that we don't try to walk it out under our own power, that we walk it out by your might, by your strength, by your power, and that we walk it out because you first loved us. Thank you that we get to walk with you, talk with you, have your favor and blessings, and that, Heavenly Father, we get to have you. So we just invite you in afresh and anew in the name of Jesus. If you agree with me this morning, can you say amen? Amen. Amen.